Welcome to the Commerce Tomorrow podcast. Your one stop to learn about the technology that's powering the future of commerce. Here are your hosts, Dirk and Kelly. Welcome to an episode of the Commerce Tomorrow podcast. I am pleased to be joined by Bruno Borges. He is a developer advocate at Microsoft. Welcome, Bruno. Hey, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to give us all a, a quick uh, background of your uh, a professional experience, where you came to Microsoft from, what you did before this, and also what you do at Microsoft? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've been working in this uh, space of IT, software development, software architecture since 2000, 2001, um, as a core Java developer, um, building mostly enterprise applications, systems of records, using relational databases. And I, I see the transformation that the industry has gone through uh, in the past decade. Um, the last uh, five to six years, I was working um, at Oracle as a product manager um, for uh, mostly for developer engagement, developer outreach uh, for Oracle Cloud, Java technologies, and uh, also helping the Oracle database folks over there. Um, and then um, Microsoft said, hey, we need to ramp up this Java thing uh, on Azure. Uh, we need to communicate better with Java developers. And they said, hey, are you up for it? I said, absolutely. And and later this February, you know, this late February 2018, um, I joined Microsoft to lead uh, a team of Java developers uh, and evangelists to um, um, help shape uh, not only um, the Azure solutions and Microsoft solutions for Java developers, but also to bring feedback into uh, Microsoft engineering groups um, to to better build Java solutions. And and so far, it's been pretty cool about about it. Um, my what I what I see Microsoft doing for developers and for a cloud. Uh, it's it's been great, and I'm very pleased to be here. Sounds like a great journey. Um, as you're a developer advocate, maybe you can explain to the audience um, how does that differ from being a developer evangelist or versus um, being in developer relations? And uh, yeah, so how would you describe the role um, that you're filling in on your day-to-day -day job? Yeah, there are many terminologies uh, these days in, in sort of... Uh, Developer outreach. Uh, there is evangelist, developer relations, advocate, uh, and and the way that I like to describe is when 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 we are an advocate, uh, we are speaking on behalf of developers and developer communities for um, uh, I'm sorry to the company that we work for. Right. So I'm a Java developer advocate. I kind of represent Java developers. So I my main focus is to bring feedback into product engineering groups um, from from developers that I talk to, from from needs that I see online at conferences, at customers, uh, at user groups. And I bring that feedback into engineering teams to shape the roadmap, prioritize uh, wish lists and so forth. And a developer evangelist, uh, it's usually um, folks who are always out there talking on behalf of the company, 
um, and, and doing this only outbound activity. And we as advocates, we prefer the balance of outbound and inbound activities. <clears throat> and developer relations is just the, the way we uh, define the uh, overall activities uh, as a group. Uh, so we have our own team uh, of developer relations and we have developer advocates. We have folks who um, work with events planning. We have folks who work with engineering teams as uh, program managers um, and different pieces. And we all together uh, deliver um, the developer relations strategy for Microsoft. Uh, and back then at Oracle, I was doing that same thing. So developer advocacy is is the best term that in, for us that we prefer. And um, many folks like to see that as a, a great job. You know, you're traveling, you're coding, you're uh, on social media, you're blogging, you're doing videos and podcasts and webcasts. Uh, but essentially, we are engineers uh, that like a lot to share and uh, chime in into several discussions. So that's it. No, that's very interesting. So um, maybe you can walk us through Microsoft's journey to cloud because, and we'll talk about this in subsequent questions as well, but Microsoft came from a very strong client server desktop software vendor, right? It was the Windows company forever. <laughs> uh, how did Microsoft make that transition over to Azure really fueling their their growth. It's been pretty incredible. It's been, and uh, you, you mentioned Windows, and uh, the funny story is when they when they joined Microsoft, they said, "Hey, what do you want? A Windows or a Mac?" And I'm a Linux. <laughs> I'm a Linux user. I've been using Linux for the past 15, uh, 17 years, and and I said, "Well, the closest that I can get of Linux, while still being compliant with IT, uh, is is the Mac." So I, I got a MacBook Pro, and I. I'm not hating the touch bar yet, but um, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with it. And uh, the battery is awesome. And, and that, that, is, that sort of demonstrates the, the changes that Microsoft has gone through in the past few years, especially uh, uh, in the Satya Nadella's era of Microsoft. Um, the journey to cloud, it, it's... it's it's really interesting when I when I when I was thinking about joining Microsoft, I looked back and I and I kind of did this research where you look at um, how the company transformed itself, um, how it adapted for market needs, business needs, and customer needs, and I feel like Microsoft is in uh, uh, is the company that is best positioned for cloud. Um, not because I work for Microsoft, but because I see elements such as uh, the uh, the individual customer retail sort of thing DNA that Microsoft has with Windows and Office. So Microsoft knows how to get to the individual uh, customer, but Microsoft also has a great background of enterprise uh, business relationships with uh, Windows Server, SQL Server, um, SharePoint. Dynamics and many other technologies that Microsoft uh, has successfully deployed at uh, customer at big companies. So you put all of that together: the capability of delivering enterprise solutions, but the also the capability of talking to individuals, uh, whether it's through a, a, an excellence in marketing uh, strategy, 
uh, or just quality of the work that you deliver uh, regarding user uh, um, usability, user experience, user interface. And you see Microsoft uh, kind of has the best elements to deliver uh, an awesome cloud solution. So uh, the Microsoft journey so far, to me, it's been based on putting all its learnings from past experience and successful products uh, into a new subscription service-based uh, technology offering. You know, it's it's funny. About a year and a half ago, we were looking for a new cloud vendor at Commerce Tools, and we spend a fair bit of money on um, cloud services every year. And the buying experience, um, we ultimately selected both Google and Azure. Uh, so we have two different clouds that we support. But the purchasing um, experience could not have been more different. <clears throat> you know, Google's response was basically, you know, RTFM, right? Uh, it's all documented. And to their credit, um, it is well documented. But there's no really pre-sales support to speak of, right? It's not like they have a huge team. They don't really have enterprise relationships. And it's crystal clear that they do not have experience selling to enterprises. And on the Microsoft side, it was a totally different experience. We had a two-hour sit-down with the head of Azure for Germany. You know, he had a nice button-up suit. He answered all of our questions. You know, there were uh, requests for follow-up uh, um, sessions. It was a completely different experience. And I think uh, a lot of organizations adopting cloud these days really need that type of um, that type of support. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the last thing that customers want is, is to deal with just with robots and, and pages and chats, uh, chat bots. It, it, it is, uh, they want that personal care especially when they are spending millions of dollars on something, right? So uh, maybe for small companies, you know, you know, when I say small, I say really small companies uh, where you don't have even the, the, the person to deal with that relationship uh, on your side. Uh, that's Maybe that's fine. But once you grow, once you have dozens and dozens of employees and you're consuming hundreds of resources in cloud, I think it's important to be able to just talk to someone. And I mean, whoever doesn't, whoever didn't, who, who hasn't ever called to a telco company and, and, and just press nine, hoping that it can talk to an agent, right? <laughs> uh, eventually, you're just going to do that and not and skip all the other numbers. So uh, being able to execute, deliver that, uh, I think it's extremely important. And that's what I saw uh, when I considered joining the company. And I'm, I'm pretty happy that I can now even help uh, improve that experience even further uh, where, where it fits. Let's talk a little bit more about um, the, the change of Microsoft um, over the, the last years, um, also on, on its way to the cloud, but uh, maybe also on the, its cultural change um, a little bit. So who would have thought uh, not only that Microsoft is uh, uh, as successful as they never have been now, right? So if we look at the, the numbers, um, Microsoft is doing an awesome job, but um, at the end, I never would have thought that they are finally becoming cool again, right? So um, when... when you, somebody's now talking about Microsoft, it's a, it's a cool brand again, right? And uh, I think a lot of these credits um, get back to, to Satya um, that, yeah, where he was just uh, putting the right focus. Um, can you tell a little bit about um, 
how he did that and how he's actually um, changing the culture? Um, yes, yeah, so uh, you know when I when I joined uh, Microsoft, uh, for every new employee that Microsoft gets uh, for since I think for the past few years, um, I, I'm sure these days uh, it, it still happens. Uh, every new employee gets a copy of Satya's book, uh, Hit Refresh. And it's an interesting book. I still need to finish reading it, but it's it's an interesting book already uh, for the uh, couple of chapters that I read. It's um, amazing how uh, Satya's focus on people, uh, and that includes customers, right? That includes partners, that includes employees, that includes uh, just average person using Microsoft's technology um, and, and, and how all that relationship uh, between people uh, has shaped the uh, new culture. Um, I, think, I, I think Microsoft changed a lot because of Satya, but also because Satya gave the opportunity for people inside Microsoft to lead that change. And people who also wanted to see that change. So he was open for that. People had the sort of freedom and, and liberty to, to try things and experiment. And that was key for Microsoft's uh, cultural change. Um, in the past, maybe an unbalanced focus between users, customers, and products. Now that has shifted more toward customers and people, uh, making product accessible for everyone. Um, I think that is the, uh, the ultimate result of Satya's vision. And I, I cannot say more than just, you know, being happy to be here at this era of Microsoft. Um, it, it has completely changed. And when I joined, I saw that firsthand in meetings with engineers, product managers, directors, executives. It's about people. It's about community. Uh, if the community wants open source, if the customers want open source, we will deliver open source. If the, uh, if the, the, the ask is about, hey, I want it to be great, not fast, it's going to be great. If I want it to be fast and also great, yep, we work on that. Uh, really delivering what people want and not what we just believe in. I think that is uh, the ultimate reflection that I got since I joined. Yeah, what what I can also hear here out from your comments is that there's now a lot more focus again on the developer ecosystem um, uh, going on around Microsoft. And uh, uh, yeah, another story of this year um, is, is Microsoft uh, probably did the most discussed acquisition um, uh, of 2018 so far uh, with acquiring um, GitHub. From my perspective, at least from from if I put my business development glasses on, probably a brilliant uh, kind of move. Um, though I understand a lot of questions that people are having around it. Um, uh, but uh, let's probably dive a little bit into the, the um, Azure topic here. So, how do you see GitHub playing into into your cloud strategy? Um, what what kind of uh, uh, integrations uh, would be possible? Uh, anything that you can already um, share with us um, that that you are probably in with yeah the github acquisition was was interesting uh, back when i was at oracle i was uh driving the the oracle account on github and and lots of oracle uh friends came to me after the acquisition 
when I was here at Microsoft. And, and they said, hey, Bruno, what did you do? And the joke was, uh, did you just ask people to do more GitHub stuff? And Microsoft decided to simply buy it because of your feedback. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, almost that. Um, it's, um, it was an interesting acquisition for sure. Uh, I've been a GitHub user for a long time. And it has millions of developers, millions of repositories and projects. Key open source projects are maintained and and driven through GitHub, and and it it just it's just amazing the success of the platform as a social network of developers and and open source in general. So, um, for Microsoft. Um, and I'm happy to be here again. It's it, it was a great acquisition. Uh, the amount of information uh, and and usage and adoption of open source that GitHub knows about, uh, and GitHub shares those reports uh, publicly. Uh, I think having having the ability to engage with this community um, and how this can. Um, how this can align with the cloud message, I think it's extremely important, but it's also important to keep GitHub uh, as independent uh, as possible from other technologies, other services, other products. Uh, we saw the LinkedIn acquisition in the past. LinkedIn today pretty much continues the same. It has some integrations with Oracle, I'm sorry, with Microsoft's technologies, but um, uh, it's mostly uh, independent, and we see the uh, Nat Friedman, the, the upcoming CEO of of of, my, of GitHub. Uh, Nat was on the Xamarin Group, and now he's going to lead the GitHub organization. He said, "You know, we want to keep GitHub as is. We want to make sure GitHub is as independent as possible. It it even uh, could have integration with other clouds." Uh, as we see in the future, but Microsoft, uh, for me, I, I would I would love to see. You know, here's my my idea. I posted this publicly. I would love to see a deploy button on GitHub. You know, I push my code and I just hit deploy, and that puts my code on a Kubernetes cluster right away on my Azure account. I would love to see that. <laughs> I, think, I thought this would be coming next week. <laughs> yeah, <so>. yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, Don't don't say that out loud. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it, it is. Yeah, but what would be wrong about that? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> what, what would be wrong about it? Right. So, um, as as long as you have the other option still to do what you want to do, um, but just giving a better um, user experience and integration, um, it's it's would be fair enough point, right? So it's it's not exclusion. It's just uh, optimization, probably. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I think once uh once everything is settled and there is an opportunity to build such integration i would love to see it um and it 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 shouldn't affect other clouds and i would i based on how microsoft is doing things these days i would even expect to have a deploy button where you would select where you want to deploy to do you want to deploy to a cloud foundry environment that is hybrid cloud sure kubernetes with a federated cluster with nodes on three or four clouds, sure. Do you want to deploy to this specific service on that cloud? Go for it. I think I think there is a there is an opportunity to build such things, uh, and and sure, if 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 there is a chance to make the Azure uh, deployment option 
the best, you know, best in class, I think uh, it should definitely uh, become true. It's uh, now it's more discussion on uh, if and when, but the idea is definitely worth uh, exploring. It's it's funny after the acquisition was announced. Um, there were there was a chorus of people on Twitter saying this is great. There were still a handful of folks saying, you know, Microsoft is bad. This is terrible. And it was so funny just to see the entire developer community just completely drown out those comments. Um, so it's uh, it's good to see uh, GitHub in a, a a friendly home, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, you know I saw this article that Google is also considering uh, to buy GitHub, and Microsoft ended up. Uh, making the final call, I think. I think GitHub was uh, and still is the best, best platform for developers in general. And if we can see more integration on it, that's great. And for, um, for what people are saying on the internet, I think. I think it. it it's you know, uh, some people have not gone through. Uh, the different optics of Microsoft, you know, they still believe Microsoft is this old company. Uh, maybe it's some person that is extremely passionate about open source, about Linux, uh, or simply hate Windows and associates Microsoft with Windows all the time and forgets about everything else that Microsoft is doing. Uh, so I think, I think it, it will change eventually, uh, even for those folks. But yeah, it was interesting to see... Uh, People that are not working for Microsoft kind of defending the company and saying, hey, man, Microsoft is a new company. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, how does uh, Azure support startups? Uh, and related question, um, how does uh, Microsoft and, and Azure in general support uh, diversity and inclusion? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a huge uh, push at Microsoft to ensure uh, diversity inclusion is covered everywhere as much as possible. Um, and for startups, it's not different. Uh, we have a startup program. Um, in terms of resources, I believe right now it's something up to $500,000 if you get into the program. Um, I think it's up to three years. It's $500,000 up to three years uh, in Azure credits. And Wow. And for, that's a lot of <laughs> that's, money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. But here's the catch. You know, startups eventually will mess up. They will, what, what I'm saying is, they will most of the time start things, uh, cloud services, VMs, create stuff and not manage properly. And uh, eventually they will be burning money that they shouldn't. Right, uh, because of their using uh, resources, they're not well just creating resources but not using them. So you're kind of wasting money. So it's extremely important for startups to be conscious that that money uh, is limited and it will not simply grow. So if you try to scale things right away um, and and not have not be conscious about optimizations of your cloud infrastructure, uh, that money can can going to be burned really fast. So you have to optimize. And uh, one great example of optimizations of cloud resource consumption uh, is a website called haveibeenpound.com from uh, Troy Hunt. Um, Troy is a security consultant and, and 
Um, he runs this website, haveibeenpowered.com, that basically shows you whether your password has been leaked into some data breach. So you go there, you put your email address, and it will say, hey, uh, your email address is in a leak of passwords from Dropbox or, uh, or GitHub or you know, even Microsoft.com. I don't know. It's, it, it will just tell you um, it was leaked. And Troy runs this website on Azure. Uh, he uses Azure Functions uh, for the API uh, inquiries. Um, he has a database. Um, I think he basically uses storage because um, uh, it's like a key value kind of thing. So he uses Azure Functions. He he calls, he checks the database for that email, and then he returns the data. But here's a funny fact: he has fronted his Azure Functions with Cloudflare. Um, and Cloudflare will simply cache all the results. So 95% of the hits on his Azure Functions REST API are actually covered by Cloudflare, Cloudflare. And 5% actually execute the function. So only 5% of the hits uh, are actually being charged. And he spends $8 a month. For, for wait for it, fifty million requests. <laughs> Not bad. So maybe we'll have to hire him at Commerce Tools. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about optimization, or cloud optimization. That's that's what people should be really conscious about. It's not just about oh, I got free money and I should just burn it all. I think you have to be conscious on how you do things and 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 read about cloud architecture very deeply. Uh, dig into that. And, and then implement things so you can get the most of your money. So for startups, it's a, it's a great thing. And not only that, but relationships as well. Microsoft mentors, Microsoft introduces startups to customers and other startups. Um, that is uh, the main value of a startup program. It's about relationship and networking, and Microsoft's program has that. And back to diversity and inclusion, um, um, we in our division of developer advocates, we 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 like to talk about it. We like to represent it. We like to uh, advocate for that topic in particular that is not even technology related. Uh, uh, but eventually, when we can do uh, something even greater, we do. Uh, one thing that I did recently on my team was uh, we we were offered travel co uh, coverage for a conference. And we don't need that money necessarily, right? We have our own travel budget. And we said to the organizers of the conference, hey, can you change, can you exchange these travel sponsorship that we don't need uh, with a batch of tickets that we can give away uh, for diversity and inclusion purposes? And they were very pleased to hear that. So um, with that, we kind of, uh, we gave away a few tickets um, to, um, women in technology uh, groups, and some of them will be able to attend uh, this conference. We did that two times, and we really hope that we can expand and make it a, an official part of our conference program. So that is a, just an example of, of, of things that we do, but uh, Microsoft has even greater uh, programs that are beyond our particular team, and Microsoft really wants to make that um, uh, part of the culture. It already is, but we want to uh, 
expand that to the outside. We want to see customers uh, applying. If we want to see partners uh, working hard on it and um, conferences and and content that is built online that includes uh, everyone. So in terms of accessibility, Microsoft has a huge program uh, of accessibility uh, for Windows and Office. One good example, PowerPoint has a, uh, a CC uh, closed caption uh, feature. When you're presenting, it gets the audio and turns into a subtitle uh, uh, right on screen uh, to make sure that people who cannot hear can read the text of, of what you're saying. And that is just an example, again, of, of what Microsoft does and how much Microsoft cares. Yeah, no, that's great. It's good to hear. Um, so since this is a, a commerce-focused podcast, um, what is Microsoft's strategy for retail, just generally? I know Microsoft owned a commerce platform at one point um, that was later sold um, Microsoft is really strong in ERP and CRM, but you know what? Uh, what what's the strategy for retail and, and commerce more broadly? I guess. Um, what is what is Microsoft's product? It's it's Dynamics, right? Yeah, yeah, Dynamics. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah. You see, I'm, I'm at Microsoft for six months, so I'm still learning a lot. Um, it's um, <clears throat> for Azure specifically. What I can say um, is. Uh, Azure has this amazing marketplace um, for um, companies to offer their solutions on top of Azure um, um, and even do the uh, selling through Azure. Uh, Support is through Azure. Uh, That facilitates and and helps small companies to offer solutions on Azure uh, marketplace. Let's call it retail marketplace. small companies that maybe don't have the resources to manage billing and support and everything, uh, Azure Marketplace has that technology for them and that that structure that enables them to to sell and, and scale and grow much faster. In terms of Microsoft being part of retail, uh, the strategy, I'm, I cannot say much or I don't know much, frankly, uh, but Dynamics, again, is, is the... Uh, uh, go-to solution for um, companies managing their resources internally. Um, for for Azure specifically, that's where I am located. It's it's just been in, in, in just enabling um, uh, retails to scale um, on top of its cloud infrastructure. Uh, you know, I, I saw this uh, announcement a couple of weeks ago of Walmart uh, going full cloud on Azure. Uh, not maybe because they hate Amazon only, but it's it is a great solution. Uh, Walmart and Microsoft have been partnering for a long time already. Uh, Walmart has already been used, uh, been using um, Azure, uh, and now it's just a matter of of scaling that. Um, and Azure is in the in the right position to to support it. So, um, for any other points of retail of, of Microsoft has that DNA. As I said earlier, Microsoft knows how to talk to customers. Uh, you know, Microsoft's division of Xbox, Office, Windows, uh, Surface. You know, Surface is a great laptop. I'm, I'm really thinking about getting one. I think it's um, uh, it, it's in its DNA, and that reflects on other 
areas like Azure uh, to support other customers that are also in the retail space um, to grow. That's that's my take on it. Uh, but I wish I could go beyond that. No, well, that already gave gave some good good insights. Um, thanks for that. Um, so let's talk uh, a little bit about Java um, as you're uh, the the advocate um, for that. And in a former life that I barely can remember, uh, I was for a while a Java developer myself. But uh, I don't want to talk about that um, <laughs> today. So. Um, As, as Java is also the, the, the dominant language for most large-scale uh, e-commerce projects and also um, uh, commerce platforms out there, um, how do you see the, the language um, has been changed and evolved over the past decade? Um, Java uh, has become the number one language, um, especially across enterprise uh, As you said, commerce tools and um, enterprise solutions are majorly written in Java. And the language has evolved quite well. Um, this year, uh, or last year, uh, by the end of the year, Oracle announced a bunch of, of um, long-awaited announcements, uh, updates to the Java platform uh, and even considering open sourcing commercial features of Java, that was huge. And now Microsoft, um, Oracle is, I keep changing Oracle and Microsoft, it's so recent. Um, yeah, Oracle is, is moving forward with Java enhancements, not only on the language, but also on the JVM or the runtime. Um, that will make customers more, even more confident of, of uh, either investing a new project, but also continue its investments for existing projects and not think about migrations, but think about how can I actually take advantage of Java even further with the new versions and so on. So for the develop for developers, the um, enhancements of the Java uh, language, uh, uh, it, it's a great thing for productivity. It's a great thing for clarity, um, for being able to write code that one can maintain later. Um, and, and the way it was enhanced uh, recently to allow customizations of runtimes, that enables uh, the Java ecosystem and companies have, that have built solutions for Java um, to uh, go beyond and, and really continue its investments. Um, I, I would say Java will not go away anytime soon. People have declared Java is dead several times in the past and uh, and some even compare with Cobol and I would say, well, Cobol is still there. <laughs> so it's not a bad thing at all. So I'm pretty happy with the uh, technology. I'm happy with um, Oracle's uh, direction for the, the language and the platform and I can see a bright future for it and the entire ecosystem. Yeah, and you know, Java EE is, is really what folks have historically used for commerce, right? Like as you mentioned, all the major commerce platforms out there have used Java EE in some way. Um, can, you, uh, can you run us through quick how Java EE has progressed from Sun all the way now to the Eclipse Foundation? It's had quite a story, right? It is. Um, Java EE started, um, yeah, indeed, at Sun uh, as a way to standardize how people would build 
um, enterprise application system of records uh, with database access, web interface, messaging and integration, um, um, all the way uh, within the application and outside. And it has been extremely successful. And some people hate it. I would say half of the world hates it. The other half loves <laughs> Um And it's it's a great platform. And an Oracle uh, made the right right decision to uh, donate it to the Eclipse Foundation. So um, once Oracle bought Sun. Uh, Oracle was already investing in Java EE by that time when they had uh, BEA WebLogic. Um, and that was extremely successful. It still is today. Uh, WebLogic is a great commercial uh, application server. It has great features, for, especially for Oracle database and messaging systems. Um, I think uh, Oracle will continue that, uh, uh, the support of WebLogic, uh, but as a steward of Java EE, uh, because Java EE is this sort of set of standards driven by different vendors, not just Oracle, uh, I think it was the right decision to offload that stewardship to the Eclipse Foundation and, and, and let other players uh, uh, share uh, the cost of maintaining the platform, but also being able to drive the future of the platform. Uh, even forward, and today uh, the name uh, the the name that has been decided to call it is Jakarta EE. Uh, it's an interesting uh, story because Jakarta was the name of the project under the Apache Foundation in the past that would be that would group all Java related projects. So if you in the past if you went to the Apache website, you go to Jakarta Apache Jakarta. And you would find Apache struts and other uh, Java technologies in there. Uh, eventually, Apache Foundation gave up on that sort of umbrella structure. Uh, but Jakarta was still a brand, a trademark of Apache Foundation. So uh, when Eclipse Foundation thought, hey, can we use this Jakarta thing? And Apache Foundation was extremely happy to say, yes, please do. So Eclipse Foundation <laughs> has authorization from Apache Foundation to use the trademark Jakarta and the new platform will be called Jakarta EE, um, and it's basically Java EE, but uh, under a new governance model uh, with different players and um, really moving forward the platform to a more cloud-native microservice approach um, where we can see the platform taking advantage of, of modular, uh, a modular a modular platform uh, of Java and I think everyone can benefit from it. So again, half of the world hates it, but the other half will be will continue to be happy. <laughs> uh, one interesting thing: we, we Microsoft is part of Jakarta EE under the Eclipse Foundation. We uh, shared uh, support for the platform uh, when uh, I think three months ago. Uh, Microsoft is also a sponsor of the Eclipse Foundation and the Apache Foundation, and uh, we are really excited to. Uh, help shape the the next phase of this history. Yeah, it's exciting times. It's it's uh, you know I was uh, at Oracle when a lot of this was happening, and it's uh, it's been great just to see how the community has coalesced around this new Jakarta EE vision. And uh, I, I think without fracturing the community, I think it was uh, it was well done. Um, 
So you use the term cloud native, uh, and I think a lot of our listeners have an idea of what cloud native means, but um, maybe you could give your thoughts on what that term actually means. Yeah, I have my opinion on it. Uh, I think I think the the way the the technology space is moving so fast, I think nobody can be extremely confident in sharing something as a fact or a, a standard. I think it's all based on opinions, right? So. Whoever has the opinion that most people are sharing, that becomes a de facto <laughs> standard. So my opinion on cloud native is, um, you know, building applications that take advantage of cloud ergonomics and economics. You know, you build an application knowing that you, you want or need to scale fast, so your application needs to be to be built in a way that can scale fast. So you you apply some uh, um, some practices, some um, technologies, and some um, methodologies, even in the way how you manage your source code or how your team is set up. Uh, uh, I think um, if your application is built in a very centric way, um, you end up with this application that can only scale vertically. And and when you are when you build your application with a more cloud native approach, you you're ensuring that your application can scale horizontally, and that that to me is key. So it doesn't matter what programming language, doesn't matter what tool, doesn't matter. Uh, which cloud doesn't matter which platform it's it's about uh what do you expect from your application once you need scalability and being cloud native to me is is that i think that's a good good take on on the question um so let's quickly because we are shortly getting to the end of this episode but let's uh, quickly talk about um um, tools and services around developers. Um, maybe first um, talking a little bit about commerce platforms. So um, what is it that, that Azure offers uh, for self-hosted large-scale commerce platforms um, that still, um, I would say, the vast majority of, of companies are, at least to, to, till today, um, yet, yet running on? Well, I'm pretty sure commerce tools will need databases, right? I think I think that is a requirement. So where you host your data uh, is an important aspect of commerce tools. And, and at least on Azure, um, being able to choose where and how you host your data uh, uh, is a, an important aspect of our strategy, uh, supporting different customers, different needs. So if you, if you are into relational database, um, you got that covered with different offerings, not only Microsoft SQL Server, but also open source databases like Postgres and MySQL. If you do need some other database or you have to use other database, uh, back to the marketplace, we have partnership with some other cloud uh, software vendors. So databases like Oracle uh, are available, DB2, um, and, and, and so on. So customers have to, that choice. If it's a NoSQL database need, uh, we also have a solution called Cosmos DB um, that provides a distributed, globally distributed database, NoSQL database solution. Uh, 
you can select partitions, you can select which data centers, you can select a lot of things uh, based on availability of data. So it's a, it's, it's an interesting um, solution. If you still need uh, any other open source database, I mean, Azure has an infrastructure, cloud infrastructure IAS. So you can definitely bring your own open source solutions on top of VMs or containers as you as you see fit. So that is just on the data. For application runtime, uh, there are many ways of, of deploying commerce tools. And I think the easiest way for most will be just a VM, right? Uh, you get a VM and you set up a VM cluster, you set up scale, uh, scaling options. And if your application is built in a cloud native way, uh, it should be able to horizontally scale. But we have been investing a lot on Kubernetes and Docker containers. And I, I've seen some commerce tools that are now designed for that sort of deployment option. And, and these technologies uh, expedite the, 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 uh, the scalability extremely uh, well. No, I think that makes sense. Um, final question before we wrap up here, because we're running short on time, but how does Azure support developer productivity, especially for commerce developers? Um, you know, what types of services do you offer, both in terms of like professional and support services, but also uh, cloud services in Azure? Um, for you know, for developers, um, Azure has a great, great set of tools, uh, not only services that can help prototype and build and quickly build experiments that may or may not end up in production. As you know, once you build a REST API and that's good <laughs> as an experiment, it might end up in production. Um, for on Azure, there's a there's a set of services on a serverless platform. Uh, two of them are highly I highly recommend Azure Functions uh, that supports different languages: C Sharp, Node, Java, Python, um, JavaScript. Um, yeah, Node. Um, and Azure Logic Apps, which is this sort of, uh, you know, you know that website, if this, then that. So, yeah, <laughs> I use Logic, it all the time. <laughs> yeah, so Logic Apps is basically that, right? So I call it the, the enterprise version of this, if this, then that. So uh, you have lots of connectors, you have lots of flows that you can build. So for, for developers to try something extremely fast and build something and deliver, uh, that's super cool. And then there's a website that is a local service that is a local platform for building websites. So you can quickly design a web interface, plug into logic apps, execute serverless functions uh, with custom and business logic and host data on Cosmos DB. You combine all of these services and you have your ultimate prototyping solution for new um, new tools and, and, and apps for your commerce. So that provides a great productivity uh, uh, for developers. And if developers still want to go hard car coding, uh, Visual Studio Code, Visual Studio itself, or C Sharp, um, um, Azure, CLI, bunch of Java libraries and SDKs, not only for Java, but for different languages, all of that provides the great uh, toolkit for developers to be extremely productive in the cloud. and. Last but not least, there is a there is an interesting service uh, called Azure Dev Test Labs that gives developers access to an environment uh, that can spin up a VM, use whatever they want inside that VM, set up a database, an application server, Docker, whatever, and it's a VM that you can turn off every night. So if you're a developer that works from nine to five, 
which you should, um, and, and unplug by the end of the day, uh, the VM will turn off and turn on again the next day. So you actually save a lot of money uh, with that sort of, of cloud resource for development purposes. So, so and that not, not even covering the AI machine learning um, stuff that is also available, uh, but I think, I think Azure provides best-in-class developer productivity tools for building cloud-based applications. Yeah, well, with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Uh, keep up all the good work at Microsoft. I was so glad to hear that you ended up there. Uh, and uh, well, thank you so much. Your listeners, uh, our listeners, can follow you on Twitter, where you're very active and uh, always posting good content. So again, keep up the good work, and thanks again for joining us. And uh, we'll wrap it there. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Kelly. Take care.